Hi, this is Larry Castle and Ken Brown for That's a Good Question, episode 51, Is Church Membership Biblical? Well, we recently talked, Pastor Ken, about the centrality of the local church mm-hmm. and uh the, the centrality of it specifically to what God is doing in his world. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that it's the church that carries out the Great Commission, and that's something that all believers are to be involved in, but through the local church. And in our last episode, we discussed what happens if a Christian does not engage in the mission of the church, mm-hmm. but instead spends their life on lesser things. Mm-hmm. And we talked about the fact that there is a judgment for believers. Um, you know, it's not a judgment to determine their eternal destiny. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been decided at the cross and in the, the moment that they uh, were saved, trusted Christ as their Savior. But rather, this isn't judgment to evaluate their faithfulness, our faithfulness, mm-hmm. to the task that the Lord has assigned to us. Right. So the fact that we will all, as the Bible says, appear before the judgment seat of Christ mm-hmm is a sobering thought. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we dealt with that in that episode. And there's another related issue that the Bible teaches us about that involves the local church, and that's something that happens here and now Mm -hmm. as opposed to in a future judgment Mm -hmm. uh, at the judgment seat. And this is what's referred to as church discipline, removing members from the church. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, as you hear us say that at home, that's a scary-sounding thing to talk about. And it is something that should be taken very seriously. Uh, But it's probably not understood accurately by many Christians because we don't see it practiced very consistently in our day. Um, So today and possibly next week, we're going to survey the topic of church membership that will eventually connect with this idea of removing people from church membership. So the idea of removing someone from church membership assumes what we're going to then focus for the bulk of our time today on, and that is that church membership is a biblical concept. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we can can talk about whether someone—we can't talk about, I should say, whether someone can be removed unless we first assume they're in, they're included. Uh, So let's start there, Pastor Ken. What does the Bible teach about church membership? Well, you're right. There, there definitely is a lot of confusion and misinformation about the necessity of, of church membership. Some of it relates to what I said in last week's Church Matters blog. So here's a plug to read the blog each week. We put that out on, uh, on Fridays, and uh, last week I titled it Church is God's Idea, and I'll be continuing that with this week's uh, blog. But, but I said in last week's that many have adopted an, an individualistic approach to their walk with the Lord. Uh, it's me, and it's Jesus, and whether anybody else gets involved is the idea is it's irrelevant, really. So it's popular to say things like, I don't believe in organized religion, or I'm spiritual, but I'm not. <laughs> That's where you throw in, don't worry, we're not organized. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Join us, we're not organized. But, you know, spiritual but not religious. Mm-hmm. When uh, demographic surveys are done over the last 20 years or so, they keep telling us the largest category about religion is none. Mm-hmm. You know, so you've got this mindset, this individualistic mindset. I might pursue a spiritual relationship, a relationship with God, but it doesn't necessarily involve the church. But 
you know, you just do a cursory reading of the New Testament, and it, and it demonstrates that Christians were, in fact, involved with one another, with one another in the local church, and really at a deep level. Mm-hmm. People cared for one another. You have things like in 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, widows, instruction about how to care for widows mm-hmm. in, in the church. Uh, you have Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. It says, as much as you are able, do good to all men. And then it says, especially to those mm-hmm. who are of the household of faith, those who are part of the, part of the church. And that's talking about doing benevolence, doing, doing good, helping uh, folks. Titus chapter 2, the older men, the older women are told to model uh, godliness and instruct younger men and women in the church. Mm-hmm. Not just the biological family, but the spiritual family. That, that should happen. And people looked after one another spiritually. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 says, if you see a brother or sister caught in a sin, it says you who are spiritual, that is you who are spiritually mature, seek to restore that one gently, it, it adds. Mm-hmm. The Bible has just under five dozen Wow. Around 60 places where there's this Greek word, alelon, mm-hmm. that's used. It's translated in English, one another. So we've got love one another, forgive one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, accept one another. Just many, many Early of them. in our community groups, before we were doing Remember it that? based on the, the sermon series from the previous week, we did a study of those. Yeah. We did that, exactly right. Yeah, yeah very profitable, too, yeah, very wasn't much. it? Very enlightening. So the letters of the New Testament almost entirely written to churches or to pastors of churches, Titus and and Timothy. They're replete with these instructions for us to be involved in one another's lives. Yeah, so that gets to our preliminary issue of membership, because how did did a church in the first century know who was included Mm. in the one another's? And uh, who did they have these responsibilities to, uh, to be doing these things with one another? And so we might say, you know, someone might say, well, it's just whoever yeah. shows up, right? right, right. Uh, but how did a Christian in the New Testament times that, that era, how did they um, treat, how did they make their affiliation with a church known? Yeah, yeah that's, that's a very good thing for us to consider because it's going to help us get to the, net, uh, the issue of formal church membership and then the possibility that somebody could be removed mm-hmm. from that membership. But in the, the first century, those who showed up were those who had declared themselves as belonging, mm-hmm. belonging to Christ, and then in turn belonging to his church. Now, how was that done? It was done by baptism. When a person uh, was baptized, they were publicly declaring themselves to be a follower of Christ, often at the risk of persecution mm-hmm. uh, doing that. They were identified with Christ and with Christ's people in a particular local church. Now, we need to remember, remember at the, the founding of the very first church ever in, in history, on the day of Pentecost, in the city of Jerusalem, it's the very beginning of the church, and the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, toward the end as it's summarizing all of these uh, momentous things that happened on the day of Pentecost, it says those who accepted the message. Peter just presented a message centered on Christ and says those who accepted the message were baptized and added to their number that mm-hmm. day. And then just a few verses later, the last verse of that chapter, summarizing everything, uh, it says the Lord added to their number daily going forward. So notice, you've got a group of people and we, we, we have an accounting 
literal accounting. We're adding to mm-hmm. the number as we go. So people were added to the local church in Jerusalem, and then elsewhere later, as more churches were established, when those people were baptized, they were added. Yeah. You know, here we are, we're 2,000 years later, but we, we still have baptism. Yeah. So why is it that, and that for us, baptism isn't the only issue mm. when, you know, involved in becoming a member? In our churches today, we have uh, additional ways for pe- people to become members, mm. you know, a letter or transfer yeah. and other things. I, I, I'm really glad you asked that because I just think it's something that we don't consider because we don't think about what's transpired since 2,000 years ago, Mm -hmm. and the time when you had one, just one church, Mm -hmm. then you read through the book of Acts, and you find now other churches being established, but also what was church life like then when you had usually, as I want to explain, one church in a city? Mm -hmm. Well, how does that affect this whole thing and how we go about it when it's different for us uh, in many parts of the world, but certainly so in America. So I think that's where much of the confusion comes in about Mm -hmm. the necessity of membership. We don't see in the Bible the methods of membership that we use today. Mm -hmm. So many people conclude, understandably, well, that's just a a man-made thing. You know, this thing that you're saying I need to do, this hoop I need to jump through in order to become a member, I don't read that anywhere in the New Testament, so therefore it must be unnecessary. So, for example, in order to join a church today, in addition to having been baptized, you didn't really have this addition to being baptized in the New Testament. You were baptized, you were in. Mm -hmm. But now we've got this additional stuff. You get baptized, now somebody might sign a uh, covenant, Mm -hmm. or they might come forward at the end of a service and they'll be introduced to the congregation and and voted on, or they might raise their hand at the end of an invitation uh, from the pastor. There are a number of these methods, these, these means, in addition to baptism, by which people make their desire to join a church known, and then the church acts on it. Mm-hmm. So now here's why. What's the, what's the difference between where we are and what we read happening in the New Testament? Two things have changed since the first century. Um, multiplication. At least two things. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. But these two really two core key things. things, two key things related to this issue of membership and yeah. how we go about it. Uh, multiplication and mobility. Mm-hmm. And here's what I mean. By multiplication, I mean there are multiplied churches. Now, you now may have several churches in one town mm-hmm. that people can join as opposed to the way it was in New Testament times. One church really in town was the only game in in town, so to speak. So when you were baptized into membership in that church, that was it for the rest of your life. Mm. There was no place else to go, even if you wanted (laughs) to go someplace. (laughs) And even if there was another church, it would really have to be very, very close in proximity because of the lack of mobility Mm. to to get there. Today, we've got both of those. We have multiple churches in a given city, given town, And you also have the ability to get to those. So baptism still is most important. It still is the initiation into membership Mm -hmm. in the local church. It's just that you may find yourself relocating or transferring membership from where you were baptized to another church. Mm -hmm. Now, when you go from the initial church, if that happens that you were in, 
you know, it's a beautiful thing if someone uh, stays in the church that has nurtured them and baptized them, and there's no defection on the part of that church doctrinally or philosophically, so that you can stay there through the inevitable hardships that happen yeah. in, in ministry and between people. That's good that the Lord uses that for our endurance, for our spiritual growth. It's a beautiful thing. But for various reasons, someone might relocate, they might transfer membership from where they were baptized to another church. That receiving church does not generally require you to be baptized again. Now, there, just as an aside, there are some churches that require you have to be baptized in our church. Mm. And, but most Christian churches, uh, if you're coming from an Orthodox church uh, with regard to baptism, they don't require that. We don't require that. But they do need, we need, some means for you to indicate your desire to join. Mm -hmm. Because it's now not going to be baptism. Uh, You've already been baptized. That clear sign that I'm joining I is I need you to raise a, a hand. Yeah. yeah. I need you to sign a card. I need you to sign a covenant. I need I need something. Yeah. And then so since none of those things are in the Bible, mm -hmm. people might mistakenly conclude that um, since those things aren't there, the things that they represent, membership, mm -hmm. must yeah. also not be required by That's the Bible, exactly. right? Yeah. You're right to call it a mistake because even though the method of membership that signing a covenant, sign a card, raise your hand, walk an aisle, whatever it is, that method is not in the Bible. The requirement, though, of membership most definitely is. Yeah, and we, we've talked in the past about the difference between something that would be, we call these categories biblical, unbiblical, and extra-biblical. Mm. And that last one, extra-biblical, probably applies yeah, here, right? Definitely, it definitely yeah. does. Something's biblical, as we've talked about in the past, if it's taught in the Bible. It's unbiblical if it's contrary to what the Bible mm -hmm. teaches. It's extra-biblical if it's just outside the Bible. And we do lot, and, and those things that are outside the Bible may be consistent with the Bible, or they, uh, they may be contrary to the Bible. So you have to look at what it is. The mere fact that it's outside the Bible doesn't put it off limits. Cushion seats outside the Bible. <laughs> outside the Bible, but a necessity. Argument one. <laughs> no. <laughs> Everybody listening agrees with Amen. that. Everybody right. loud you made your case. Yeah. <laughs> and we do lots of things, okay? Things like, you know, the furniture and all that. What's the Bible tell you about that? Yeah. Right? Nothing. Yeah. We do lots of things that are outside the Bible, but they're nevertheless consistent with what the Bible tells us to do. They're not unbiblical. Mm -hmm. And many of those help us pursue biblical requirements. So here's some examples that many of us would be familiar with. You take uh, Sunday school. Nothing about Sunday school in Scripture, it, but we've devised that. Mm -hmm. We've devised that in the last couple hundred years. But I think most would agree that's, that's a good innovation. Mm -hmm. It's an extra-biblical thing that helps us pursue a biblical requirement, namely to educate in, in God's Word or some way to sing together, to facilitate the singing. Mm -hmm. uh, so hymn books, or more popular now, or screens. But nevertheless, mm -hmm. you have words available. We probably have a, a larger library of songs than they had in the first century. They were just... Exactly <laughs> you know, right. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yes. And so now you need some way to compile those, have those available to mm -hmm. people. All right, nothing in the Bible about having a hymn book, nothing in the Bible about having a screen, obviously. Yeah. Extra biblical, but it helps us pursue the biblical requirement of musical worship. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes you get people who pursue a kind of legalism, frankly. You know, saying, if you don't show me chapter and verse that this particular method... Uh, was used, well, then I don't, I don't need to do it. 
you know, so legalism. I'm just going to throw out, those people are usually teenagers, in my experience, but not always, (laughs) coming from youth ministry. We're laughing, you know, I'm laughing, but yeah, I did youth ministry as well, and you're right about that. And, but here's the unfortunate part. Sometimes we don't grow out of yeah. that, that mentality, yeah. and we really, we really need to. We understand why teenagers are questioning things, and we want to patiently answer their questions, but you know, we, need to, we need to mature. We need to grow out of that, and, mm-hmm. and we need to understand that the Bible uh, is, gives us these parameters. It gives us the framework, but then, as I think I'm going to demonstrate, you know, we have to come up with ways to carry out what the Bible, mm-hmm. Bible says. But I call it legalism because legalism requires a letter of the law. Some versions, uh, only the letter can be done or is required to be done, rather than recognizing that the Bible gives us the functions, but not always, in fact, not even often, the forms. Mm -hmm. That's something we've talked about for 20 years at our church, going back to form and function. Yeah. I just always remember certain uh, certain folks saying, wait, so which is All the right, form? Which is which, which one? <laughs> I know. I'm always getting confused, and, and I probably don't help in the way I explain it. But, but yeah, the function and, and form, and that's, you know, stolen from, some of you may recognize, I think, architecture, yeah. uh, you know, is function, and so a good architect wants to know what is it you're doing, and then I want to create a way, I want to design this in Thing a way. you're doing, how to do it. How to do it. That's yeah. exactly it. It gives us, and the Bible gives us the things. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to do the functions, evangelize, edify, build people up in the faith, worship, but usually doesn't give us how we're to do those, the the forms. So with regard to forms, how you do it in the New Testament, here's what you, you normally find. You find functions are most often given without any particular form specified. And then on the few occasions where you do have how you do it, the forms, they're usually partial and they're incomplete. Mm-hmm. Here's an example, Acts chapter 5. So we're back to day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, that first church in Jerusalem. The church is continuing to, to grow, being added to their, their number, but now you're in, in chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, and we're told that the apostles, it says, taught, function. Mm-hmm. Okay, But then it says in that very verse, they taught from house to house. That's a way they did it. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. They didn't, on that occasion at least, get, get a big gathering. They did from house to house. So function teaching, form, house to house. But we're not told. Did they go to every house hmm. or just some of the houses? We're not ta- told whether they taught both believers and unbelievers. We're not told whether they went inside the house or they did this outside the house, were neighbors invited, just all kinds of things that are left unanswered. So in that case, you're given a form how they did it, you're not given a lot of information. And then also the forms, sometimes for the very same function, vary from one context to another. So you have that teaching that the apostles are doing in Acts chapter 5 and, and verse 42, but that very verse, same verse, says they did this from house to house and in the temple courts. Mm-hmm. So you got two different ways that they went about the very same function. So the, the functions have to be biblical the forms are often going to be extra biblical. Yeah, so this has come up in context of us talking. We've had occasion to talk about the Book of Acts recently together in mm-hmm. a couple couple venues, and you're working on uh, preparing some teaching from the Book of Acts for us in the fall. Right. So it's come up in that way. 
But um, as, as I think about the mission going into all nations, that's really important because I've heard people say it yes. as the, the gospel and the church is supracultural. That's good. So you got to be able to apply it in different contexts. Very good. Yes. Um, so, so what we're saying then is we shouldn't get hung up on uh, the fact that the way we receive people into membership is not found in the Bible because mm-hmm. uh, that's the case with many biblical requirements. We're not told how to do the thing, exactly. just that the thing is a priority. Right, right. So, so let's talk some more about the requirement then okay. of membership. Uh, we said that we observed the required of me- requirement of membership in the book of Acts as people were baptized, mm-hmm. they're added to the church in Jerusalem mm-hmm. in that way. And uh, that baptism was really the only means uh, of membership throughout at least the first century because there was just one church. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's in a city. There was that church, and that was it. Right. So there was no such thing as transferring from one exactly. church to another like we have today. Right. But uh, as I learned in my hermeneutics classes, the book of Acts is descriptive okay. often. Hermene- hermeneutics? Yeah. You, you, I, I, I went to college. <laughs> I'm pulling out the words, hermeneutics. It's how you go about interpreting All the right. Bible. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Pastor Ken's not the only one who could use the big words. So, um, so it's as you read through the book of Acts, we would say that oftentimes what you're getting there is descriptive. It's telling you what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not necessarily prescriptive in that it's not telling us exactly what you ought to do or how you ought to do it um, for all Christians in all times. Yeah. So then we, we really need to think about what does the rest of the New Testament say? Are there other indications in the Bible that this idea of membership is a requirement. Yes, yeah, very excellent. Thanks for that good setup and good question. And on that descriptive, prescriptive issue, mm-hmm. uh, yes, in the fall, we're going to be going through the, the book of Acts, starting a sermon series, so I invite you uh, to join us Also uh, the setup that. on the commercial, you're welcome. Yes, exactly, <laughs> thank you. And we'll, I'll make the point again about that, about descriptive and prescriptive, and you see things there, and you look at, you know, uh, miraculous things that happened, Day of mm-hmm. Pentecost, mm-hmm. you know, and you say, okay, is that the Bible telling us to do that? Should we be seeing... Pentecost happening. Some do take it that way. And some take it that way. And so we need to, if we don't make that important distinction, because the next chapter, chapter 3 of Acts, for example, says uh, Peter and John went to the temple, and they see a man who was born lame from, uh, born lame, and they they helped this man with uh, healing him. Mm -hmm. You know, so they went to Jerusalem. That's describing, right? It's not prescribing, I yeah. think. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Don't have to take a pilgrimage and okay. heal a lame But, you know, it's important. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but then we should, though, look beyond the book of Acts, because if these are patterns that need to happen, then we should at least see indications of them, mm-hmm. not only in the book of Acts being practiced and described there, but actually being carried out in the life of the church later and the letters written to the churches. So, indeed, there are several indications that people were identified as members of local churches because there are some things that are commanded in the Bible that simply cannot occur if you do not have a recognized membership. Let me just give you a, a few of those. One is you have a passage like 1 Corinthians 14, 23. 1 Corinthians 14, 23, and it refers to the whole church coming together. That's a quote, the whole church. Well, how do you you know if the whole church is there? In fact, 
in that very context, it does talk about outsiders coming in hmm. as well. That's interesting. So you have people and if who it's are just concerned. everybody who shows up, then it's always the whole church. It's always the whole church. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's making a distinction. Yeah. We know who the church is. Yeah. Now, they know that by virtue of who was baptized into the church mm-hmm. at Corinth, mm-hmm. but you've got to have some way to know who comprises the church. For those of us who are shepherds, pastors, elders, this, this is extremely important. Hebrews chapter 13 and, oh, and verse yeah. 17 yeah. talks about the, the heavy duty, uh, the, the weighty matter of overseeing the flock of God, and it says that we are going to give an account mm. of the souls that God has entrusted to us. Well, listen, I got, I got to know who's entrusted to me. Is it just everybody who shows up? Is it everybody who would show up once or twice or three times? Mm-hmm. Or is it the people of God who God and His providence have sent to us, saved through our ministry, come to Christ through our ministry, baptized here, or people who've relocated here and we've taken them into membership, but there's a formal way for them to say, I am part of this flock under you, under you men as shepherds, and we're going to give an account mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. Absent that, you have no parameter around that, and that's it's already a, a heady thing to think about giving an account. It's much more scary to not even know who I'm giving mm-hmm. an account right. for. Okay, yeah. And then the Bible does speak of removing people from church. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that we're then going to get to. Uh, but if you're going to remove, then that assumes you first belonged. Right. And there had to be some way for that to be indicated. Yeah. So, And then that brings us to where we began mm-hmm. uh, in talking, introducing this subject, and that is the question, must churches sometimes remove members? Mm-hmm. So that'll be for our next episode. But let's, let's uh, if you want to maybe give us an introduction so okay. that folks know what we're going to talk about in that next one. Uh, and then next week we'll flesh out the mechanics that of how good. that happens. That sounds good. Well, yeah, Jesus said very clearly uh, in Matthew chapter 18 that there are times due to unrepentant sin that someone has to be removed from the church. He says to go through a process. We'll describe that process in next week's episode. But having gone through that process, if you still have someone who has not responded uh, positively to that, then you are to treat that person as the equivalent of an unbeliever. Now, it doesn't mean that the person, as we will see, necessarily is an unbeliever, but you have to tr- you have to now, because they are unrepentant and recalcitrant and wanting to go in this direction despite the entreaties that we'll see through the process Jesus gives, now you have to, it's a very serious and of great concern. So Jesus says to do this, treat as an unbeliever, and that would mean then, for example, they're no longer going to participate in the signs of Christian union. So think about a very obvious sign of Christian union, communion, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? This is, uh, and, and, and so the, the word for discipline uh, is often excommunion, excommunication, mm-hmm. communication, because the person is now out of unity with the, the body of Christ, and so they wouldn't participate in communion. You know, likewise, you've got uh, the word fellowship, sometimes translated Communion, sometimes translated participation, partnership. This is a Greek word. If if any of you know any Greek at all, you might know this one. It's Mm -hmm. uh, koinonia. We hear that sometimes. T-shirts, bumper stickers. And you've got 1 Corinthians 5 talks about uh, removing someone from the the fellowship Mm -hmm. uh, very, very clearly. You've got 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6 says, keep away 
from everyone who keep away. That's what it says. Mm-hmm. Keep away from everyone who claims to be a believer, uh, but does not live according to the instruction that we have given. So the Bible very clearly says there are times where this has to happen. Yeah, but I mean, we rarely see it happen, mm. um, including in our own church. We've I, just a handful of times, couple times mm. in the 20 years right. uh, that we've been exi- existing as a church, and many Christians have never heard of it or seen it done in their entire lives and are probably, as they sit here, listen to us talk about this idea, just horrified because it's so foreign. Yeah. So it'd be very important then for us to be able to take a look at biblically what is this, yeah. what is it not, yeah. and, and how does it work. Yeah. So, okay. All right, well, we'll do that next week, right. and I uh, want to thank you all for... Uh, tuning in and watching this episode of That's a Good Question with us. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the notification bell so you know when new episodes come out. And uh, share this episode with folks you think that would benefit from it. And uh, we'll see you in the next one. If you have a question you'd like us to consider, you can send that into our email address, info at cbctrenton.com, or text it to us at 97000.